Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, welcome along to a brand new episode of Writer's Routine. This week we're chatting to Denzel Mayrick. Uh, Denzel has written 11 DCI daily books, many standalones too, and he's back with a brand new novel, Murder at Holly House. We discuss how his work in the police and directing companies, being very busy, how that influenced his writing. Also, how his routine is mainly to simply sit down and try and get on with it. And you can hear why Murder at Holly House is something a little unusual for him. And I thought, well, it's good to write something uplifting at Christmas time. And I wouldn't want to do it all the time. Um, but then again, I don't want to write the same kind of books all the time anyway. Whether I don't really believe in being a, you know, I'm always referred to as a Scottish crime writer. I would rather just be referred to as a writer because I could come out with something that isn't really crime at all, and I have done. Um, and, and this, again, it's this need to, to pigeonhole people, to label them and put them in a box. I'm not good at boxes. It's all on the way in a brand new episode of Writer's Routine. Welcome along. My name's Dan Simpson and this is Writer's Routine where we take a look through an author's working day. The show that hopefully peels back the curtain and lets you in to see some of the secrets and learn some tips and get tricks that will help you plan your day, your work, your life around what you want to write. Now, something that can help out with that is our sponsors for this week's show, uh, the brilliant writing software Plotter. We've got a fantastic offer that you can make the most of over at go.plotter.com slash routine. While you're there, you get 10% off this software. Plotter is a writing tool that, well, does what it says. It plots. It helps you plan your books the way that you think, letting you outline faster organize smarter and it will turbocharge your productivity with a digital cork board with color-coded notes and paths and threads on there makes it really easy for you to get a lot of detail into your timeline the outline your notes the details on characters and places and it makes it very simple for you to chop change pick them up move them here and there and swap them however you like plotter helps you spend more time writing and less time worrying about everything else If you are a bit like me as a writer, when I try to be a writer, and you get absorbed by the faff, the window dressing, 
Well, I think Plotter will really help you out with that. It helps you strip it back to see what is important. In our chat that you'll hear in a second with Denzel, uh, he is very keen to remember what he's there to do that there's a lot of fuss that gets in the way of just sitting down and writing a story. Uh, So we'll touch on that in a second, and Plotter really helps you sort that out. The best way for you to see what it does, how stunning it looks, and how helpful it can be is by getting to go.plotter.com and taking a look around. And while you're there, as I say, you can get 10% off the software with this show. To get the deal, use the code that is in the episode notes wherever you're listening. It's over at go.plotter.com slash routine. Now, this week, we are chatting to Denzel Mayrick. Denzel has published 11 DCI daily books and is now taking a little break from that type of crime story. Uh, Many more standalone novels, too. And he's back with another one, Murder at Holly House, where we head back to December 1952. A dead stranger has been found stuffed up the chimney of the historic Holly House and Inspector Frank Graysby is dispatched to investigate. And then Snow soon cuts him off. There is another dead body that turns up and we find ourselves in a locked room mystery. We discuss how he deals with that baggy middle. Also, how to uh, not be too concerned when you've not hit your word goal for the day. We chat through why The Sopranos is incredibly inspirational and why the main goal for Denzel is to avoid anything that might delay the actual writing. So hopefully there is quite a thorough routine in there. Let's find out with Denzel Mayrick and we start things off as we always do with what he sees around him in the place where he sits down to write. I see before me a um, poster of Churchill uh, who never, never, ever give up that kind of thing. Um, I've got a large print of a scene from of Tower Bridge and out the window I can see trees and a, blue, a bright, bright blue autumnal sky at the moment. So y- y- there are a few things there that I imagine jog some inspiration. The, 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 the quote from Churchill, you have the Tower Bridge picture beside you too. Um, is there anything that kind of lets you know what you're there to do? I'm talking plot points. Have you got post-it notes, a whiteboard, anything like that? No. I, I'm one of these writers who does it in a very simple fashion. Probably one of your worst guests from that point of view because I see writing as a very simple process and... I don't have whiteboards. I don't use note. I, I have I have notes as I as I go along, and um, but I don't have any any kind of you know stage. I know I know writers that have chapter by chapter plotting, and I don't do any of these things. Um, I just literally sit down in front of the laptop and write. Um, so for your purposes, that's not not very exciting, is it? <laughs> well, it's not. I, I I think the exciting part is that it can be done in any way. And that actually some of the inspiration comes from the fact that you're, whereas a lot of writers that I chat to will need precise situations and precise views around them, maybe that's window dressing and you're able to just sit there and, and, and get the words out without too much drama at all, Denzel. Yeah, I think it's because I come from from business. And when you're in business, you don't get time to organize your office just to suit your mood or put on your favorite track and things have to be done instantaneously and you've got to respond to to what's happening at the time 
And so, you know, I try not to make too much of a song and dance about it. And I see it very much as something to be done Exter- externally. Internally, it's a different matter. Internally, um, you know, I always see a running picture in my head of what I'm doing. And interestingly enough, when I've gone back to, for whatever reason, to look at books that I wrote 10, 11 years ago, and I read them, I get exactly the same pictures in my head that I did when I was writing them, which I find quite strange. How much truck do you give for uh, perhaps uh, uh, someone who, who really struggles to get stuff down because everything isn't just right when you come from a background where it doesn't matter if things are just right, you've got a job, you need to get it done, so get to it. Are you? How much sympathy do you have? I don't think it's a case of sympathy. I think everyone, you know, we're all individuals and individuals like to do things in different ways and, and vive la différence, if, if you like. However, uh, I do think that that it's some first-time writers read a lot of this stuff and they say, oh, no, I've got to have my whiteboard. I've got to have my post-it notes. I've got to have a detailed plan and plot of what I'm doing. And they spend so much. I know two or three people who have sought advice from from me foolishly, and and they've been become really bogged down in this preparation thing, to an extent that they it stopped them from sitting down and writing the book. And from that point of view, I think that's a shame. Uh, so I think it obviously has its merits and it has its demerits and. It's up to you how you want to go about it. But really and truly, at the end of the day, simplicity is all as far as I'm concerned. Every author I've spoken to doing the show has always mentioned the moment, the wall, the, the baggy middle where you're feeling a bit lost and you aren't sure how this is going to carry on. Um, it just because it is, you, you were turned about that internal. You were talking about that internal process. It, it just becomes quite tricky. The, 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 how do you deal with that, coming from a practical attitude such as the one you have? I, I think that I know what you mean about this baggy middle kind of thing. But when I sit down to to write a book, uh, uh, Dan, I have an idea. I have a beginning and a middle and an end in in my mind. And by no means is that set in stone. Um, so what I find is that the the so-called baggy middle can sometimes be the part of the book that changes, you know, uh, against the way I was expecting it to be. But I never really get bogged down in anything. And um, I just sort of plow, plow through. I always know where I'm going and where I want to get to. So from that point of view, it's, you know, you're, I, I work a lot with characterization and a lot with dialogue. And you you just, in the terms of the, the, the daily books that I've written, um, 11 of, you just resort to character at times of, of um, stress or not knowing what to do. And I find your characters will always get you out of that kind of kind of thing. Uh, and, and especially when you've been writing a long-term series the way I have and you know, you've you so much to refer back to and that helps you through the process. But you always keep the the end goal in mind of, of the, the end of the book and how you want that book to end. And again, that's not set in stone either. So I can sit down with a thread of an idea beginning, middle and end 
And uh, when I finished it, what's out entirely different? How much have you noticed that part of it getting easier then? You mentioned relying and, and and touching on characterization. Well, as you say, you've done 11 daily books. You know these characters pretty well. Um, do you remember noticing a moment through writing them when you thought, oh, okay, I, I know these so well now that if I am at a sticky point, I can I can check in with them and they might help me out of this tunnel I found myself down? Yeah, that it has plus and minus points like everything else in life, really. The plus is that you know these characters so well that they take very little time to put on the page. In a certain circumstance, I know what um, D.S. Scott will say to Jim Daly. I know what Jim Daly will be thinking, and I know what, you know, um, Camish will I'll be thinking. I know what Ella will be wondering about or their reaction to something. But then on the minus side, you drag this whole... Uh, world with you and all that's happened in it since you began writing it and if you have a you know it's not harmful to have a character behave uh, out of character if you like because they're doing it for a reason in the book and as long as you're doing it that way that's fine but if suddenly you've got Brian Scott who notoriously hates books in my daily novels um, suddenly um, oh yes I can't, can't wait to go for a sale that's just a very simplistic example uh, but you've got to be cognizant of the fact that that you've written that before and he has that character aspect. And so you have to be very careful that each person that, that you write stays constant throughout uh, um, the way they've been before. Um, and you've got to, I mean, I spent ages writing the last daily novel trying to remember what I'd written as Brian Scott's um, brother's occupation, believe it or not. And I was convinced he was a plumber. And then after much delving through various books by myself and my wife, we found out he was an electrician. So you have all that kind of baggage with you that you've got to be very aware of. Um, so on one hand, you, you know you know your characters off by heart. You know how they feel, as though they're yourself, in other words. But then you've got to be very careful that you don't write anything out of context and isn't part of... I suppose you'd say canon, really. Um, otherwise, you're in trouble. Have you ever considered putting together quite a detailed encyclopedia or dramatis personae, whatever they call it? Uh, so you just need to flick back and think, oh, wh- wh- what's everything I know about this one again before you crack on? Well, I can guarantee that if you do that, you'll miss something out. And the very thing that you are wanting to know or find out about them won't be there. And again, it's another thing that delays you from writing the book, as far as I'm concerned. And it doesn't happen often enough to me for it to justify so much work in doing this. Sort of, I think people call it the character Bible, don't they? Um, and, and I tend tend not to do that. And, and I think when you're writing one of these books a year, of the daily books a year, you know, you're still always very close to it. I think if I took a, I'm on, in, in a sort of break from daily at the moment, the next daily won't be out until 2025 um, because of other projects like Murder at Holly House, which is coming out just you know, in a week or so's time. Um, then when I go back to write that, which I'll begin sometime next year, I may find it more difficult uh, because there's been that space, that, that a year nearly since I, I wrote the last one. Um yeah, but well, I'll have to see. But I, you know, I, 
you know, but that's what that's what editors are for, isn't it? They they should know all these things. <laughs> he, he, uh, touching on the meta for a second, and I wonder how this will play out. So you know your characters. And we'll get to the new novel in just a second. I know that is outside of your daily books, but you know the the characters in your daily stories in, incredibly well. Are how much are they existing? Kind of in the background, doing their own thing and changing from book to book. Like, if you didn't think of a reason for you to tell their story in A Breath on Dying Embers or Jeremiah's Bell or one of these stories, like, are, are they naturally doing things between novels that you're aware with and it's just a case of catching up yourself when you start writing a new one? That's a very good point, but I I really kind of the the books are kind even though I don't have them uh, set in time if you like I don't you know there's not a, a specific time and so characters don't age the way they would in normal life and they don't you know I don't say well this is the fourth of December two thousand and twenty one or whatever um I my my novels are pretty the daily novels are pretty consecutive. So a few weeks after one finishes or a couple of months, the next one begins sort of thing. So you get the idea of continuity throughout. And even as though it's unlikely in real life, I mean, we're not talking about real life, we're talking about fiction. And and so they change very little in between when we last saw them as to when we'll, we next see them. However, now that I'm having a hiatus from daily, uh, that will be a what you mentioned will be a, a case and will be a, interesting to know and things will have changed from the last book um, that people have read and it will be interesting how I do that but I've not done it yet so I can't tell you but, but <laughs> as soon as I te- as soon as I tell you I'll let you know I try to write in an ideal world um, Monday to Friday and I try to keep as close to office hours as I, as I can and that's not always possible of course but um, it's my kind of it's my kind of a kernel the kernel of what I do so in the morning I shall wake up and struggle struggle into life and the first kind of worky thing I'll, I'll do is to check my emails and write any relevant responses I do that twice in the day I do it once in the morning three times actually once in the morning once at lunchtime and once in the sort of as it, appro- as it approaches evening, because I get so many emails these days, and zooms and everything else, because I'm involved also with the daily television um, show. Uh, so that's what I do. Then I, I move on to social media. I try to engage with whoever's written to me in the last twenty four hours, uh, whether it be on Facebook or X or um, Instagram or whatever particular platform it's been on. Get that done, um, and then I have a, a small pause for a cup of tea or something, and then it's down. I sit down writing, and my aim every day is to get at least two thousand words down. And there are days that doesn't always work, but but more often than not, it works. Um, and I, I feel naggingly disappointed if I don't get that that, uh, that 2,000 words down. I think a lot of writers are like that. You feel as though you've you've failed in some respect. Um, and then these days there are Zoom calls, the pleasure of talking to people like yourself, 
interviews, articles to write, scripts to, to, to read, um, all that kind of stuff goes on as well. Um, and so you've got to be careful you're not overwhelmed by, by things and leave a space for, you, for your writing. And I'm, I'm someone who always tries to get writing done as early as possible. I'm not a good afternoon writer. If I'm to start something at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, I'm not good at that. I'm out of my routine and it and it, it grinds with me. And I am unlikely to reach my two thousand word target. Um, so that's that. I, I, I write until I finish the two k words, and then I go back on to something else and to finish the day. How concerned are you at the quality of those two thousand words the first time around? Um, not really at all, because I, I again I either either in the reviewing process once I've written the first draft. Or in the editing process, when I get to that point with an editor, I tend not a lot changes. And so my first drafts are very, very like the books that come out. That You know, if I was to hand you the first draft of my last novel and you were to read the actual novel itself, you would think, wow, he's not changed very much in this at all. Um, I do review every day. when I, The first thing I do, and I missed that out when I was, when I was speaking about it there, is, is I review what I've written the day before. Um, and so by the time I get to the end of a, a manuscript, I'm pretty happy that it, that it all works pretty well because I've gone back, I've reviewed, I review every day and then I review the whole thing a couple of times and I'm, you know, I'm usually quite satisfied that it all hangs together pretty well. And yeah, an editor may come back and say, well, what about this and what about that? But and at the end of the day, you know, um, it's interesting to have that point of view, but 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 I, nine times out of ten, I stick to my own. Um, you're well, many books down now. So there's a, so you've done this this system, this process quite a lot. Um, you mentioned the review at the start of every day, which helps your first draft be quite close to your final draft. Have you spotted that you? that process is easier that you've got a lot better because you've done this a few times now at, at kind of getting it done first time without much need to change things just because you understand the way that you write and you know how to get it pretty bob on first time you get these words down i'm i'm always conscious of overworking things uh and i know writers that do that and they agonize over sentences and passages and paragraphs and they do this for days and days on end. And I, I'm determined not to be like that. And yeah, of course, you get better at a thing the more the more you do it. That's just human nature. Uh, when I when I first started writing to put you in the picture, uh, Dan, I, I was ill. And for the first time in my life, I, I didn't have anything to do. I couldn't work. Um, so I was sitting with a lot of time in my hands. And I'd always wanted to write a book. So I thought, well... Right, shall I start the research? And I thought, well, I'm not going to be very good at that because I'd rather just get on with the book. So I picked the two things that I knew best, which was Kintyre, where I'm from, and police, the police force, which I was in. And I chose to write a contemporary crime novel set in Kintyre. And I had a, about a year and a half, about a year and a half to write this, something like that, because there was no pressure of, of a deadline or anything of that nature. And I meandered along it and I finished the book and then I sent it out just to see how th- 
with no expectations it would be successful or it would get published, anything like that, but just as an exercise to see how the whole thing worked. And then, lo and behold, about two months after I sent it out, at first I was offered a publishing contract. But, but um, yeah, it was it was interesting how it worked. But then you're faced with the, the second novel, and you are under time pressure. So you've got X amount of time to finish it. And that was a very different experience from my, my initial one. But the more you do that, the more the easier it becomes and, and the more natural it becomes. So, yeah, it's a... I think, though, if you do anything in life, even if you're not very good at it, you'll get from one one level up to another in your in your head and your kind of world and improve, even though that improve, improvement might not be might not be very good. Um, I I might be painting with broad brushstrokes here, uh, so please correct me if I'm wrong. Um, so, like your previous work, you uh, worked as a police officer and, and worked as various company directors and uh, managed distilleries, it would seem, which sounds so fantastically Scottish, I can't describe it to you. Uh, now, the, uh, writing a novel seems quite a different skill set to some of those works, right? I, I, I'd say... I, again, painting with big stereotypes here, but you're, you're, when you're writing a novel, you're in your own head being creative solely on your own, whereas directing companies and being a police officer seems to me to be slightly different skill sets, as I say. When you were writing that first novel over the course of 18 months, uh, how much adapting did you need to do and, and the way that you do things? Well, my life had changed quite markedly because of my illness. I, I, had, I, I suffered from very bad, or I still suffer from very bad, psoriatic arthritis, which is the, the most pernicious form of the disease. And literally I was floored. Moving, moving was exceptionally difficult. And, um, and so my whole life had kind of changed anyway. Um, but even within the, the jobs I'd done before, and by the way, managing a distillery is a fantastic thing to do. It was my happiest, amongst some of my happiest times. You know, it was really, really good. What were some great people in Campbelltown, where I was from? And it, it was a really, it was, I have some really fond memories of the people and, and things that happened. It was a, I used to go home sore laughing every night. It was such a, <laughs> it was such a good place to work. It, it, but that aside, um, in any job, if you're in, if you work in an office, as you say, in charge of a company or whatever, you have to work a lot of time on your own because you'll have reports to put together, you'll have promotions to put together, you'll have meetings to, you know, all all the stuff that you have to do and can only be done by you. You've got to sit down and focus on it. So, from, in that respect, writing is no different. Writing's just another that's another process. Um. And so I didn't find the change from being around people and being, certainly writing is a very isolating uh, kind of occupation. And it's strange in that it's, 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 it's two-headed in that you've got this, these months on end where you sit down in a darkened room and, and write away. And then all of a sudden you're on the radio or you're on the TV and you're speaking about it to people like yourself and it's all go, you know. So it's it's strange from that that point of view, but then of course once you get into it, you're writing. I mean, I'm writing a book at the moment 
I'm um, publicizing another, which is about to come out, and uh, I'm editing another one. So I'm currently, in a way, working in three books at the one time and the television show. Um, so I don't think you get time to feel to feel the isolation. But I know that some writers do feel it and and feel very, you know, especially if they've adapted working lives where they've been in and amongst people and and that loneliness gets them. But it doesn't particularly bother me. I think, you know, as long as you've got a good support network, I think you're fine. We mentioned sympathy towards other writers earlier on. Uh, with your background of work and with uh, attitude, your attitude to the way that you should be working and t- 2,000 words is, is, is quite an amount to get done a day. How sympathetic are you with yourself when it's not going so well? Or is it just a case of keeping on trucking, keep on carry on and all of that? Yeah, it's about both. I mean, I'm very critical of myself when I don't get things done the way I want or how I want or in the times time space that I want um, you know if, if I get to the end of the day and I've not done my 2000 words if you'd asked me this question six years ago I'd have been very much more critical of myself than I am now because then I was just sitting writing books really and not doing any of the ancillary stuff um, but now I've got to accept and be realistic about the facts that I'm doing so much else that I you know you don't want to make yourself ill by doing this and um, become obsessive about it. Uh, so, yeah, I'll I'll sort of tut or or you know um, shake my head at the the MacBook if I've not done a two thousand words. But in essence, you know, you, you have to work as you work. It, it, it's it's part of the exigencies of writing. You have to be pragmatic about it and sh- shrug your your shoulders and say, well, okay. Um, didn't do it today, but there are mitigating circumstances. And I, I play them back in my head as well. I think, well, I had a podcast to do. I had to write about a dozen long emails. I'm, I'm still writing this piece for the newspapers. I've got a, a Zoom a production meeting and Zoom later on and all that kind of stuff. So you can, as long as you can justify it, or I can justify it in my own mind, I'm pretty, you know, relaxed about it. But if... I get to, and I do get days where, like everyone else does, and I just can't be bothered, you know. And, and it, everything's a real struggle. They don't come very often, but they do happen. And that's when I get more most annoyed at myself because because then I feel as though I'm playing catch up, and that's that, those are the most difficult days. But but normally, you know, as long as I can justify not writing two thousand words or not writing any words because I was doing other things, I can. I can get past it without too much concern and angst. There is a point to where I'm leading this, but do tell me if this is too blunt a question. Just just looking at psoriatic arthritis, may I ask how, how kind of mobile you are? Well, I can get about, but um, in 2017, I'd, I'd been feeling ill for a while, apart from the arthritis, and I was taken to hospital. They didn't know what was wrong with me. And it ended up after them making mistake after mistake after mistake that I had an undiagnosed heart condition. So I, I nearly, I nearly died. My heart was down to eleven percent function by the time they discovered what was wrong. And it was probably a result of the I was receiving a very new biological treatment for the arthritis, and um, that that nearly killed me. 
Uh, it wasn't managed properly at all by the clinicians. And so once you've been through that kind of experience, um, you tend to look at life anew and think, well, I very easily couldn't have, might not have been here. And um, so, so I do get about, I don't obsess about things the way I used to. I'm not, I'm much more relaxed than I was before. I don't worry as much um, because ultimately, what's the point in worrying? Because, you know, um, as long as you're doing all you can to to mitigate any circumstance you come across, then worrying's not going to do anything for you other than stress you out. So my health issues have, have um, I'll not lie, they are, sometimes it's difficult. And anybody who has arthritis will tell you that it, it just it comes and goes. You have good days and bad days. And when the bad days are bad, they're agony. And when the good days are good, they're good. And that sounds very simplistic, but it's not. Any, anyone who suffers from, from arthritis will, will tell you that, you know, it's one of the most painful things you, that can possibly happen to you. I only ask that because, and it sounds so trite now, but it is kind of the purpose that we're here. Uh, a lot of authors will tell me when they are struggling, when the words aren't coming, they'll get themselves up and they'll go, they'll go for a walk. And I, I just wondered, <clears throat> like the how how the balance of that is with you. So, so when you're finding it tough, Denzel, as I said, I know it sounds trite, but what do you do um, that maybe helps out the words? I don't really get times when I, I, <clears throat> I don't, I don't know who wrote a writer's block just being a state of mind. But I agree. With, I think it was might have been Stephen King. Actually, he seems to have written everything else about writing. <laughs> but but I don't really have those times. Um, you know, I sit down, write, finish, and then move on. Um, and I don't. I tend to, if, if if I'm really having a bad day, and and it's not usually because of just the writing. It's because of external factors as well. Normally, I just give up. Put my hands at this. A great, it's the great joy of being, being self-employed, Dan. You, know, you can you can look at the clock, the clock, and it's it's two in the afternoon. You just say, "I'll oh, bugger it. I'm just not. That's it. I'm not doing anything else today because I don't feel like it." Um, so when I stop, I don't reach out for inspiration and desperately try to get back to it. I just sit and I zen out, and, and that's it. Really, um, that's my kind of. Kind of my my break, if you like. How about this then? It, 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 this really is the most simple question, but there is a lot of purpose to it. And um, what font do you write with, Denzel? Um, Calabria. Oh, Calabria! Do I have it here? I always use Calabria for some reason that is is unknown to me, but it's on. You certainly get it in MacBooks, which I write on through. Most most of my career, I've written in MacBooks. Um, Calabria. Okay, so uh, one last question before we get onto the new novel. And sure. you, I have had many authors on this show, crime authors who are Scottish. I have had many crime authors on this show who are police officers. You fit right in the Venn diagram of that. How much did it always feel like this is a place where you would find yourself writing crime stories uh, from a, a, a you know naturally British Scottish perspective? Um, not. I mean, I never thought I'd end up writing novels at all. But but, but uh, 
uh, two, two points in that. I mean, my publisher, uh, then publisher, because I've moved since beginning of the daily novels, um, they made a lot about me being a police officer. But I was a police officer in the 80s. I spent a lot longer in business and doing other things than I was ever a police officer. But I, mean, I didn't begin writing until 2010. So you can see there's a, there's a huge gap there uh, um, when I was doing other things. Um, and my my... Such and we'll, cut, we'll probably come to this when we talk about Holly House. But uh, my my mother was born in Hull. My father was born in London from a Welsh family. So while I was brought brought up in Scotland and born in Scotland, you know, I'm, I I do consider myself to be British, and uh, so I don't fit into the kind of hard bitten, gritty Scottish crime novelist that doesn't really exist, honestly, uh, and. You know, so I, I, it wasn't a career I ever envisaged of myself. I I always thought that writing would be unattainable and that having a book published was would be unattainable because you hear the apocryphal stories about about how these things happen and come about in slush piles and, you know, manuscripts becoming ignored, just going straight in the bin and all that kind of stuff. And so you just think, well, and the chances of doing that are... I, I try, I'm always pretty grounded, good and bad, I would failure and success in my life and I never get too hung up on the failure and I never get too enthusiastic about success because you know they're both sides of the same coin um so the Scottishness yeah to be honest I think that there has been a, a boom in Scottish crime writing and there's some of it that is very very good and I'm not just talking about Scotland here but some of it is very very bad as well and uh, the onset of self-published writing, and of which some of it, some is very, very good, but a great deal is very, very bad too. And I don't necessarily think, I think I've said before that you tr- only have to travel 50 miles in Scotland to get to somewhere that's been books, crime novels written about. Uh, so that that's the way the way I view it. And I think within that, there's a, there's a kind of encapsulation of Scottish crime writing as being tartan noir, a, a phrase that I despise, um, because it gives you it, it sticks a label on you, and there are so many there's such there's such a diversity of writing and and which is covered by that umbrella term, and uh, you know the daily novels I set out to try and do something that was different by. Yes, having visceral writing and visceral scenes in the books, but also leavened by humour. Um, and whereas you get the people who are real noirists who write books that are relentlessly dark, and all of us are hiding under this umbrella of tartan noir, and it must confuse readers when when they read if they're new to that kind of subgenre, and they say, "Oh, tartan noir." Well, I've read one book and I really enjoyed it, and they grab say mine, and it's entirely different. They must think, "Well." That's not a different genre altogether, you know. So yeah, I think there's a there's a there's a real sort of need to pigeonhole people. I don't think it's always healthy. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. 
Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. We'll be back with more from Denzel in just a second. Remember, you can make the most of that fantastic Plotter deal. They are sponsoring the show for a little while. Go.plotter.com slash routine. And you can always support the show uh, at patreon.com forward slash writers routine. I know there's a lot of links, but just bear with this. By becoming a backer and pledging to support us at Patreon, you're really helping us carry on. For that, just a few dollars a month really helps us carry on and it gets you access to bonus content. There is little chats that we have in the community there. We're sharing ideas, we're sharing advice, font tips, book recommendations. It's all there. Uh, You get merch and there is even a way for your book to sponsor this show. So if you've published something recently, maybe self-published, and it's not really gone the way you had hoped, but you found a struggle with getting it out there, I know that that is such a common theme. There are so many books published all of the time uh, that simply getting yours published, which seems like the end goal, uh, is often the start of what can be a very tough journey. And I really appreciate that. And if you would like me to plug away on your behalf, I am more than happy to do that. To get involved, it's patreon.com forward slash writers routine. As I say, anything that you can uh, throw over there goes an extraordinarily long way. And I'm very grateful for it. If you would like to help us out, and help me bring you these shows as often as we can. Get to patreon.com forward slash writers routine. Let's get back to it then with Denzel Mayrick chatting through his novel Murder at Holly House. We're following Inspector Frank Graysby, who is ordered to investigate a strange body that's been found. Only when another one turns up, he gets snowed in and we're in a locked room mystery all of a sudden. In this part, we chat about finding inspiration in unusual places. Also, why he wanted to write something completely different than his normal stuff. And we pick things up, running through how his past work, directing companies and being in the police and even managing distilleries, has all taken different paths to influence his writing. I think as you go through life, regardless of what you do and what you achieve or don't achieve, you always, you're always learning about yourself and you're always learning about the world. And so from the jobs I've had, I've learned, you know, I think I think when I started off life, working life, I was quite malleable and, you know, I aimed to please, um, you know, employers or whatever. Um, and I, I realised that, that that's not always the best way ahead, you know. 
sit down and do an honest day's work for an honest day's pay is fair enough, but people, you know, people will walk over you in life. And now I'm not very easily walked over and I'll stand my ground on just about anything. Uh, and if I believe I'm right, I'll I'll bat myself to the hilt on, on that. So I think that working in the places that I did and the industries that I did gave me that kind of, you know, education, if you like, because you're always learning all the time. And I worked with some really good people, really clever people, um, people who you would think would be and, and were the nicest people about. And then all of a sudden when it came to a working environment and something didn't go right, you know, they made sure it was fixed and they would fix it any way possible uh, to their satis- satisfaction. So I learned, I think I've had a, a lot of steel um, added to my character over the last 30, 30 odd years. And I think it's seen me, it's done me, it's done, it stood me in good stead, if you like, uh, because I think you need that steel. You certainly need that steel when you're writing because, you know, you're open to crit- to very public criticism. And if you didn't have that, you'd tend to collapse under the weight of it all. So let's get to the new novel then. It's a, a departure from uh, DCI Daily. This is Murder at Holly House, Stenzel. Just take us through the very first moment that the idea for this story came into your head. Uh, well, I'd want to do something different. But, you know, because I'd written the, the 11 Dailies and I wrote a standalone gangster novel and novellas and nostalgic novellas set in um, Kintyre in the 60s. And it was really then that... It was a trilogy of them all published around Christmas time. And it was then that the idea for for a Murder at Holly House came about. And I wanted, it was, I started writing the novellas just during COVID. And, and we might come to this later, but I think there has been a sea change in what people, reading habits, since COVID was such a horrible, tragic, stressful, disgusting time for the world, that I, I think people had enough, for a while at least, of real horror and and cut them up crime novels. And I took the little novellas, which weren't really crime, no, crime novels, they were more tales of these pair of fishermen, the, you know, the Kinloch tales, which are now out in, in an anthology form. And I thought, well, what could I do this? I don't want to be stuck in writing about this imaginary Kinlocker and the real Kintyre the rest of my life. I'd write to like something nostalgic. I'd write to like something sli- slightly historical. And with my mum being from Yorkshire and us visiting Yorkshire when I was a kid, many, many, every year, and then later on in life going to Yorkshire a lot myself with the family and everything else, I, um, you know, I thought, well, I have experience of, of the county, it's one of my favourite places. I have roots there, and Grasby appealed to me. You know, I've always been a great fan of Evelyn Moore's writing and 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 uh, P.G. Woodhouse and people like that. Yeah, and Mark Twain and George MacDonald Fraser, who all kind of write in that similar vein. If you read, if you were to read the Flashman novels, for instance, and then read a bit of Mark Twain, the similarities are are you know amazing. Um, it's as though you're you're reading the same writer virtually, and George MacDonald Plays was a was a was a fabulous writer, 
And so I thought, well, I'll write something about that. And then again, the, the changing to the first person for Murder at Holly House. That was new to me because it'd always been the third person I'd written it in. And so I wanted to try all these things and try something different. And if it failed, it failed. And if it succeeded, it succeeded. But thankfully, it, I mean, it was picked up by um, Transworld, which are, you know, Penguin, Random House's big um, genre imprint in the UK, which I was delighted about. And, and Finn Cotton, who's my editor, is a fabulous young man and who's destined for the very top in publishing, I, I predict, because of the way he works and, and you know, his sheer intelligence that surrounds his, his job and the way he approaches things. Um, and that's how it really came about. And, you know, because I'd admired these authors that we've just spoken about, they certainly inspired me to do that, combined with the, the little novellas I'd written myself. And I thought, well, it's good to write something uplifting at Christmas time. And I wouldn't want to do it all the time. Um, but then again, I don't want to write the same kind of books all the time anyway. Whether I don't really believe in being a, you know, I'm always referred to as a Scottish crime writer. I would rather just be referred to as a writer because I could come out with something that isn't really crime at all, and I have done. Um, and and again, it's this need to, to pigeonhole people, to label them and put them in a box. I'm not good at boxes. <laughs> How... How difficult is that switch? I know, and uh, I know as a, as a writer, not boxing yourself, you should be able to easily turn your you should be able to turn your hand to uh, completely different styles and genres of writing. Um, but like in practice, it's, it's not it's it's not always that simple, especially as you've written eleven novels uh, in in one place and in one in one style. But like being inspired by some of the great comedic authors like uh, Evelyn Waugh and P.G. Woodhouse and and and, and writing in, in this different viewpoint that you mentioned, suddenly moving to first person. How, how did you find that change? How much readjusting did you have to do? Very little. You're absolutely right what you said. You know, if you're a writer, you should be able to write in, in various styles and about various things. I always joke with my, my people on social media that say, oh, when's the next Daily Jew? And I say, well, I'm having a complete change, but I'm sure you'll enjoy the book. I'm writing a um, retrospective of Norman Arch architecture from 1067 to 1222. And, there's, you know, you can you can hear the pause on the social media. You know, you don't... And you, oh, right, yeah, oh, great, wow. Look forward to reading it when you actually think they're just going, oh, my God, I'm going to read that billion years. But it's good, and it's also, it's the old maxim, a change is as good as a rest, isn't it? And if you want to, if you're in the middle of writing a long-running series and daily is going to continue um, along alongside other things like Grasby and a novel that's another brand-new thriller that I have coming out next summer, um, God willing, I think that, you know, you it, it's... It, I love writing Grasby because I don't have to think up gruesome deaths. There are there are murders in it, but we don't dwell on them. They're murders because they're murders, and he has to have something to investigate. But it's it is lighthearted in its tone, but it's a real story at the same time. It's not just tea and scones with a vicar, if you know what I mean. It's a genuine, you know, I'd like to call it a cosy thriller rather than a cosy crime novel. 
that that you know I've been pigeonholed again with that. Um, but but yeah, I, I, it's good to do something different, and it's refreshing, and it's amazing how you know when you're we we, we talked about being involved in um right you know what was the benefits of writing a long running series and the, the advantages of it it was good to be able to to start with a white page and do something new and i really enjoyed that and i still enjoy it. and i'm i'm writing the second one as we speak and and i'm finding that just as as uplifting as i did the first time round it's interesting what you said earlier about covid changing people's attitudes to things i i know that i found it not necessarily with books but with things that i watch on, on telly i'm 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 much less interested in something unless i know that it might have a happy ending like i really can't be dealing with grizzly uh with with, with two heavy murders that are pointless i i i really don't want to be made to watch sad in the hour that i allocate myself to watch something on netflix right since and particularly since lockdown and you know i'm looking at my bookshelf here and i've got stuff there by janice hallett there's a you know richard osman cozy crime there's that word novel um and and just reflecting on that they are they have come around and they have been big since lockdown. I, I wonder uh, how much did that affect when, when you were working on, on, on daily books and, and working on more traditional crime, in air quotes there, how, how much you thought about well, it, like the idea that do, do people really want to read like a proper murder anymore? Yeah, I think the, that market will always exist. I think it's the nuance that changes. Um, and there you know, people for a while, and counterintuitively, um, during during lockdown, books about um, contagion and and all that kind of thing were, were selling well. I think Peter May wrote a book about a very a scarily similar situation to COVID about three or four years before COVID happened. And when it happened, this book sold like hotcakes. Um, so different different people have different approaches to thing, but things, but in a general sense. I believe that 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 there was a there was a, a a real national and international need for something to cheer us all up. I think we needed cheering and we needed something that was going to take away this misery and tragedy that we'd all been through. And let's be honest, so many people lost those dear to them in in terrible and awful ways that were un, unimaginable only a few months before COVID hit. Um, and for me. Even in the daily novels, my inspiration for writing the daily novels was um, part of the inspiration was The Sopranos. Uh, because The Sopranos, with all the, the really ghastly things that happens and Tony Soprano does, there's so much humour and comedy and great acting and great you know, dialogue and everything else about it's fabulous that it leavens that. And that's what I wanted to do with daily. And it's what I've done with Murder at Holly House in a, you know, in a kind of different different way, because Frank Grasby, who's the detective in Murder at Holly House, is, is kind of, he's, he's hapless, but he's capable, if you know what I mean. And he, he can have moments of, of great inspiration, um, but he's very self-reflective and uh, of his past and his, his future and kind of struggle to fit in as a person. And so you can write 
even a crime novel without it being a slash and burn job, you know. Um, and I'm always conscious of, we know what's going on in the world at the moment, which is also harrowing, even though it's at a remove for us or for most of us, not all of us, who have family in the Middle East or, or in Ukraine and Russia and whatever. And but there, are, there will always be times in, in in the human within the human race, the human condition dictates that 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 we will have really really bad things going on, and we have to live live through them. And I think, depending on personality, depending on what you like, depending on and how you feel, you know, a little bit of something different is is good. And especially around Christmas time, because Christmas is such a nostalgic time and I know I read different books at Christmas than I do in other parts of the times of the year and so the Graspy thing came about because of that really it was the want it was the need to do something different it was the need to entertain without um you know entertaining through something something uh, um, horrible and visceral and 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 nasty and repellent um, and I know that people read crime novels for vicarious reasons, because you know you've you're reading your crime novel and you you have the same similar feelings to being in danger yourself, but you know you can put the book down and and everything's all right. You know, it's that vicarious thrill, and you can also have a vicarious happiness as well. So that's what I'm balancing it much more with with um, with Grasby and Murder at Holly House and I'm with Daly. With Murder at Holly House, uh, you mentioned way earlier on in our chat that you like a beginning, a middle and an end. Uh, how much did you know about this story before you sat down to write? We, we've spoken about the inspiration and the comedic authors that it came from, but how much did you know about the plot when you started typing the first sentence? I knew that I wanted him to be in a, a village that was snowbound in North Yorkshire at Christmas time. I knew I wanted him to investigate something that wasn't just um, a murder at the vicarage. Uh, and so I proceeded along those lines. The main plot really came to me as long as, as I wrote the book. Um, and so it was probably one of the least, the books I had least idea about before I started writing it. But it came very quickly. I wrote it in about four months, I think, which is quick for me. I usually... You know, I'll probably more like six months to write a book and review it and get it ready for, you know, for sending out. Um, yeah, so I, 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 but I was delighted with the way it came. I mean, you sometimes get characters and you invent characters that, that the story comes out of them, if you like. That sounds very pretentious and, and obscure and arcane. But, you know, you have a character will fit into a certain scenario really well. And from that scenario, you'll come across, you know, you can move forward. And that's very much what happened with, with Grasby. Um, and there was also an element, I don't know if you remember the programme Heartbeat. I, yeah, I, I, I didn't watch it too much, I'll be honest, but I know it existed. Well, Heartbeat was a hugely popular show for 20-odd years on British television. It was a staple of Sunday nights for, for many, many people for years and years. And I really, really enjoyed it. It was a great escapism. And it was that kind of vibe, the same as Grasby's. It was that, yeah, things were happening and bad things were sometimes happening, but it was the nostalgia of being in the 1960s with these cops in this small village in North Yorkshire. And 
and and it was only when I'd written it I realised well there's there's something of heartbeat in this as well you know, um and for those who 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 miss heart heartbeat every Sunday night, well they can read Murder at Holly House because it's it's uh, it will take them to a similar place if not the same place. Last question then, looking forward, I know you've written standalone books before, but maybe not exactly in this guise. Uh, as opposed to novellas. Uh, how has writing this maybe uh, influenced and changed the way that you might write future books and even dip your foot back in the uh, the, the daily world? How, how has this changed things? Well, of course, the, the writer has written and then writes again and moves on or whatever that quote is. I have written and I moved on to, I've already written the next book, which is the thriller I touched on earlier, um, which is a proper you know, international thriller called The Estate, um, which is up for pre-order now and everyone's very excited about. Uh, I think the Grasby experience, and I, and again, I, as I said, I'm writing the next Grasby as we speak, and then I'll be writing daily after that. Um, so it's reassured me that I can I can write um, different things and, and, and not just, Stick, you know, just be saddled with daily and saddled. It sounds a nasty thing to say, but everyone wants to do th- different things as, we, as we've, we've spoken about. And it's nice to have that, you know, the feeling that you can do it if you want to, if you know it, if you if you get my drift. So I've been reassured by the fact that yeah, I can do different stuff. And in the you know way in the future, you know, I'd like to write something out with um, crime and thriller altogether. You know, I'd like to do something very different and I'm, I'm more reassured about that as well that that if I decide to do that and if anyone will take it which is of course another problem that every writer faces that you can you know I can sit down and write a science fiction novel or a fantasy novel or a or a so-called literary fiction or whatever else you know I can do that and have be reasonably confident that I can get it done and get it done reasonably well Hopefully. How about the uh, the Norman history of architecture in the 13th century? It's it's bubbling away in the background, Dan. You know, we never know when that will come out. You know, I've spent a lot of time traipsing around churches in the south south of England doing brass rubbings, and you never know when you know. And I I don't think it will sell as well as Daly and Holly House, but stranger things have happened. And that is it with Denzel Mayrick on the show. That brand new novel is Murder at Holly House. Uh, now, next week, we are chatting to Femi Coyote about his brand new Why Done It novel, Why Done It novel, Gaslight. He'll be with us next week. In the meantime, uh, make the most of that plotter deal. Go.plotter.com slash routine. You can always support the show too at patreon.com forward slash writers routine. You can get in touch with us using the contact page at writersroutine.com and make sure you follow us on socials. We are, it's a variation of at writers pod or writers routine. Give us a search. You'll find us for daily videos that boost you and hopefully give you some inspiration for your own work. And I will see you next week with Femi Cody on the show. Until then, bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.